everybody. You're listening to The Rock Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. The podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend that you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it, which you can find at the top of our FetLife page, uh, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners. We've been practicing together for just over a year. We're excited to share our passion for rope with you, and we live in beautiful, beautiful Thailand. Yes, we do, and it's nice and sunny here, uh, which is lovely when in England it's slow and cold and all those things. So, talking of England, <laughs> the reason for the episode today, um, which is a bit more of a conceptual episode than um, than some of the ones that we've had, um, is We're being my intellectuals um, today. <laughs> yeah, this is more of a. Um, well, it'll be interesting. This is more of a discussion, and we're super interested in people's views on this one, so we really would love you to comment um, once you've listened to the episode. So, yeah, I went back to the UK, and um, uh, as I do once or twice a year, <laughs> to see family and friends, and I have become more and more open with um, the people who are close to me about rope and kink, um, and it was a bit of a bucket of cold water because um, what it made me realise is that I've got into... Um, uh, one of these cognitive biases where, you know, when you're immersed in something, because really in Bangkok, um, most of my friends here are, are kinky or at the very least very open-minded and I can be very open. Yeah, Bangkok is awesome uh, that. Yeah, and, and so when you're immersed in something like that, we forget that actually for other people um, it might be uh, a lot newer and, uh, and quite different. And this is actually a cognitive bias. So here's the psychologist bunny coming out. Um, and it's called the false consensus effect. And the false consensus oh. effect is um, where people tend to overestimate the extent to which their own opinions, beliefs, preferences, values, habits are normal and typical compared to other people. So basically, when you're immersed in something, you do something all the time, you just think it's the norm. And then you change your context, you change your norm group, and you realize that, in fact, it is not the norm at all not everyone people. is like you and your friends yeah exactly exactly and and it really um made me start thinking about and you and i've been talking about you know how other people see kink and rope sure. and i also had a, a conversation um last week in fact with a friend who's very ropey and she's um she's very into the rope community in the uk and she's also quite a big uh, masochist and and I would consider her quite um, hardcore mm -hmm. and she um, had been a, in a suspension with a new well, she, person she even has coffee. an undercut uh, haircut so she's an actual true rope bottom <laughs> thank you <laughs> just because I have all the hair doesn't mean that I'm not a true rope bottom no, um, but she had been either. doing she had been doing a suspension um, the night before we were chatting and someone who was new at that party had said, gosh, you know, it must take so much trust to let someone do that to you. And it was um, an inverted suspension. Mm -hmm. um, and she thought, oh, yeah, this is more hardcore, hardcore than I think about it. But for her, it is, again, much more normal because she rope bottoms all the time hmm. um, and she's very comfortable with it she's uh, desensitized so to some aspects of the yes thing. yes it's become normal so that's the context um 
for the the discussion and, and kind of why we're doing it. So it's all about how rope bondage is seen um, in society and by the people who aren't in the community. Or people who are maybe in BDSM but not in rope in particular. Yeah, also that. Rope also is a that. bit of a community within a community, I think. Yes, yes, I think that's very true. It's a very distinct activity, like it's very clear what rope is, not mm -hmm. fuzzy. Um, and it involves quite a lot of technical know-how. Mm -hmm. And I think that also creates a bond between the community because it's not something you can just pick up and do without some pun, effort. Pun intended or rope creates <laughs> no, a bond in the take, community? No, but I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what, what, about, uh, what about the media? Because usually the media is an interesting reflection of society, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And you and I saw um, uh, the uh, DVD, The Pleasures of Rope, um, a little while ago. Is that the, um, the documentary so, we watched together? Yeah. The one with the yeah, tortoise? So, the one with the tortoise, yeah. It did have a tortoise. Um, but anyway, so what were your thoughts on that? What did that tell you about how the person who was creating the documentary, who wasn't into rope at the start, mm -hmm. uh, saw um, rope? Um. If I recall, and that was a while ago, well, first I was very pleased to see a documentary on that subject, to be honest, yeah, to, to see definitely. some of the community people being interviewed and being shown. Uh, if I recall, the stance of the documentary maker was, people are doing this stuff and it's kind of weird. Hmm. Yeah. Is that, is yeah. that right? Yeah, I would say so. And it also, I very remember the opening, which was this like car in a dark alley and this super creepy music. <laughs> yeah. Him going into this, you know, door into a club. And the positioning for me was a bit like, oh, this is weird and creepy. And who are these crazy people doing this stuff? Um, so they and, really wanted to make it look underground and illicit yes. and secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very I guess much you, so. you got to sell your product somehow. Yeah, and the documentary was really interesting, and as you say, there were lots of community people in there, but there yeah, was a... I, I think it's worth watching. Uh, so it's yeah, the, the yeah. Pleasures of Rope, and it's a DVD yeah. set, right? I will put it in the show. Yeah, you can, uh, actually, actually, you can uh, you can pr also purchase it uh, through our affiliate link that you can find sure. on ropepodcast.com if you want to both have it and also support the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I bought it and I was very happy to, and I've watched it several, yeah, several it, times. Yeah, it was a good buy. It was not super expensive, and it was worth the money I would say yeah yeah and so where else are we seeing um, Shibari or Kimbaku uh, well that's a bit random but I believe there is an episode of season two of Daredevil that's named Kimbaku and that's full disclaimer really I have not seen the episode and I'm not <laughs> sure what it's talking about but I'm pretty sure there's no rope in it yeah okay but well, it seems seen it either. seems to be like a <laughs> underground edgy thing that you can throw around to look cool yeah yeah and we've started to see it in music videos as well so there's mm -hmm. the sonlux video easy which is actually yeah. a very good song yeah um and there's also that twigs video uh fka twigs pendulum um so i'll put links to uh, today is going to be a heavy show notes episode oh, i think sure. i've got a lot of links to um, so yeah, in the in the Sunlux one, I think you you pretty much see a whole rope scene and suspension, mm -hmm. like, and that's yeah. really the main focus. Like, it's not just there's a shot for five seconds where you see rope. It's actually the whole music video is a rope scene. Yeah, 
so that was yeah, yeah. quite surprising in a yeah, cool way yeah yeah yeah, and the song is is nice too. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got these music videos, cool, edgy. Um, I've also seen it more and more in the news. Now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, one of the reasons that it's in the news is all the Fifty Shades references. So, as Whoa. we know, and I, I don't want us to get too far into it, the Fifty Shades films have opened BDSM to some degree to people who might not have considered it before so it's it's pushed it a little bit more mainstream mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the articles that i've read about rope have reference to 50 shades like they drop it in somewhere um, which is sort of annoying but I also why, why is it understand. annoying though um because 50 shades is getting to define the scene to the public and i don't think 50 shades is a super great model of yeah. what BDSM is. That's we, why. We, we like have a, um, moral issues with the way uh, BDSM is approached. Yeah, the, with the big, yeah, the biggest thing. I mean, on one level, you know, it's a, a romance book with tying up and spanking, and and that's okay because I like romance novels, so I don't have an issue and, with that. And you like but spanking. The, I, I do indeed. In fact, I like the activities. On the other hand, there are two big issues. One is the consent piece, and that's mm-hmm. been discussed to death in the media. Yeah. Um, and the other for me, which is really important is that he is portrayed as being into BDSM because he was damaged in childhood because he mm. was abused in his childhood so you can and for me those things if you're fucked up yeah yeah and and for me that actually um that actually ties into some of the things that people have said to me um about being into rope so mm. I told one family member that I was into rope and I did not mention pain because I'm not super into that yeah um and she said in a really like sad and concerned and worried voice, but why do you like being hurt? And it just really brought home, to, and she's an adult, she's in her 50s, mm-hmm. it, it really brought home to me the fact that her associations with BDSM, and all I talked about was rope and maybe a bit of the DS stuff, mm-hmm. are all about pain. Um, and so for, again, from an external perspective, that's one of the things I think that also Fifty Shades does. It, it creates a different perspective in people's mind as to what mm. BDSM is that we don't necessarily agree with. Okay. Uh, what other things in the media touch on rope, you think? Um, I read, uh, I, I would say it's more in the news. Okay. Um, so I read a piece in The Guardian, although this was done back in 2016, which is about an art installation in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Bunny, in fact. Okay. Um, and that was a piece describing <laughs> describing an art installation, and that was a male-male um, collaboration. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, and it was all about um, gender and sexual representation and turning things on the head and mm-hmm. the aesthetics, the communication, the emotions. And the piece describing the installation wasn't a bad um, piece. I thought it was, it was great. Uh, reasonable again I'll link in the show notes the one thing that I picked up that I thought was quite interesting about the external view was this idea that um, after the one of the shows they did because it was um you know installation where they they did the tying okay um, one of their audience said um, oh you shouldn't uh, abuse the trust of someone young and gullible because they tied up a male volunteer who Mm. was 21 yeah. And so. For, yeah, so for me, 
it's like, well, 21 is well over the age of consent. Like, why are we patronizing the 21-year-old and saying that they can't make a choice and consent? Um, but obviously from the... <laughs> But obviously, from a, again, from an external perspective, because that's what we're looking at, how society sees BDSM, it's seen as something that isn't even the age of consent. It's pushing it to, you know, well, how old do you have to be to be able to consent to um, BDSM and, and role activities? So that was quite interesting. Okay, that is interesting as a reception. Uh, and then I suppose you have a very artsy rope installations like what uh, Hajime Kinoko does with the giant rope oh, yes. and stuff that we've seen yeah, yeah. around. They're pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, there's a great Dayton Digital article uh, which is called How the Art of Japanese Rope Bondage Hit Pop Culture. Mm-hmm. And that has a ton of references in. So it has. Uh, Lady Gaga. So Lady Gaga in 2011 um, got some uh, was tied uh, up, a bit limited ties. Uh, again, I'll link to the the link. And those were supposedly leaked Polaroids. Yeah. Um, and so that then. Kind I'm, of, I'm hearing inverted commas around the leak part. Uh, mumble mumble. Yeah. Um, and then Lady Gaga has also done some slightly weird. Uh, portraits, which was uh, for um, an exhibition about death. So the exhibition okay. was called Macabre, and um, she's in a—I think she's in a suspension in those photos. Oh. Um, and again, it's interesting. Like on the one hand, great visibility for rope. On the other hand, making a sh- making rope about death. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Less less enthusiastic. She seems, in fact, to be in an inverted suspension. Right, okay, because she's supposed to look dead. Are you looking at it now? I am looking at it now. Uh, I don't know how dead she looks, but she seems to be um, in an inverted suspension from a TK and a Futo and a single column and an ankle from a quick cursory glance. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she's obviously very famous. Um, And so she brings it. And then there's also been a lot of fashion stuff. Now, this is where I'm not as... Um, can you can you imagine the insurance liability of doing a TK on Lady Gaga? Of Lady Gaga. <laughs> no, I can't. She must be a nightmare to insure, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, guys. This is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this world podcast and sharing it with you. Sadly, hosting a podcast isn't free. Far from it, actually. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. you find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases, and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now back to our normal programming. So then, yeah, there's a lot of things around fashion. Um, so Galliano had a, a, a show where they had... Um, like heels with rope binding, and Dior had one oh, with a crepe, <laughs> crepe shibari shift dress. So mm-hmm. this have been those. And actually, there was an exhibition in London, uh, which I can't remember the name of, that the um, anatomy people took part in, which was um, again clothes, which were based on shibari ties. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely. Well, and we also have a friend yeah. who makes uh, underwear that's inspired by shibari ties, I suppose. We do, we do peak lingerie. Um, if people want to look that up, that's a good, good spot. Uh, yeah, so she has um, a range 
totally inspired by that. So it's, it's for sure in fashion, in the media, in pop culture. Um, so one of the things I guess that I would say about this that brought up for me was a bit of a schizophrenic feeling because on the one hand, it's good, I think, that there's a bit more visibility. Mm-hmm. It brings it out of the darkness a bit. It makes it less like weird and strange. On the other hand, it can be a bit uncomfortable to read um, non-expert stuff around Shibari and Kibaki. Oh, all the things they say and the way they say it. Like For starters, yeah. I'm, I'm looking right now at... Uh, journalism article where they spelled Kinbaku wrong for start just for okay. start in the in the title like they spelled the title, they spelled yeah. Kinbaku wrong uh, in an okay. article about uh, Kinoku Hajime installation um, and then like the things the things we've seen in the press uh, I, I don't have the exact reference under my eyes right now but something about uh, they were doing this. Uh, SM activity called shibariing someone or something like ridiculous. Oh yes, that was in the law. That was in the prosecution case that we yeah, like, read. Yeah. Even um, suddenly sure. shibariing her. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't exactly that, but something of that level. Yeah, and and in that it was like super dark and dangerous for sure. Actually, yeah, I could link to some of the law uh, cases as well if I can find them because yeah. that is another. Well, that's uh, another, another influence place. on the popular opinion, isn't it? Yeah. Totally, totally. And and in Italy, um, someone died from a tie and because they weren't doing it very well. Yeah, drugs and drink and all kinds of things. And they, would, um, they but didn't have their uh, cutting tool always in a uh, easily identified, yeah. easily accessible place. So kids, if you're going to do rope, have your cutting tool and know where it is and That's be able to access it in 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. All of those things. Um, yeah, so I also found an article in uh, Metro uh, from a couple of weeks ago, in fact, which is like a really basic, you know, straightforward description of Shibari. And it's actually quite nice, okay. but it also is a bit weird because it's talking about it as if it was, I don't know, cooking. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, I've, I'm of two minds about that because the art side of Shibari is apparently getting a lot of press, but they're completely missing the the BDSM aspect and the sensation aspect, which is the important one for me, because I don't really care about making pretty pictures, as you know. And I don't recognize myself in that media coverage of Shibari and Kinbaku. Like, they're only interested in the aesthetic aspect of it. Right, and it's more comfortable. So this is an interesting thing. It's more comfortable for the media to go in around the aesthetic than it is to go in around power exchange and yeah. S&M and using rope for pain and stuff like that. Yeah. And so a uh, part of me wonders, you know, is this the thin end of the wedge and that's where it starts and then hopefully, you know, it becomes um, wider and, and more comfortable. But then that's there's also... Super interesting. Uh, I'm reminded of something, which is um, I used to be a boxer. Uh-huh. And at the box club one year, well, for starters, we had double the number of members we usually had. So that was a bit surprising. And half of the registered members were women. And I was like, oh, yeah. something's happening. And then thinking back, six months prior, a million dollar baby had come out in the cinema. 
Ah, okay. And then we know that um, archery clubs have seen a huge surge in membership since the Hunger Games movies. Mm, mm. There's no question. So what I'm saying is we just need a Hollywood blockbuster that features women doing shibari heavily and would be swimming in bunnies. Well, I think that uh, Fifty Shades has done that to some degree. Is there, is there a lot of rope in the Fifty Shades movies? I will, I will confess that no. I have not seen them. Uh, no, I think there is some... There's not really any shibari. I think there is... She certainly restrained. I don't, I've read the books, but I've only seen the first movie. But I don't know whether there's actually any rope. He uses a spreader bar at one point, so she must be... Oh, I think she's cuffed to that. Yeah, but I think it's it more like cuffed and spanky-spank than uh, rope in that movie. It leads people to BDSM, and that is part of part of rope. But then I also think there's a question about... Um, so if you remember the conversation we had with the rigger a few months ago, who was very anti-rope um, becoming more mainstream. Yes, do you remember yes, I, that? Do, I do remember that. So uh, what was his argument? Um, I think he wanted it to stay underground and confidential and that he said that his attraction to it would be lessened if it was uh, mainstream and commonplace. Yeah, yeah. And, so and, and also he thought, this. and that's, that's definitely a position you can argue, that uh, if the mainstream people were to try it, they would fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess that goes back to what we talk about a lot, which is having respect for rope. If you're already in the BDSM culture, then, then you know about consent and you know mm-hmm. about safety, and those are probably two pillars of how you practice BDSM, and so you're going to apply that to rope. If you just come to rope, you don't necessarily have that context, and so hopefully you learn it, but obviously the more mainstream it becomes, you know, the, the less that might happen. Um, it is a thing. The rope, the rope studios are part of that, I think. So um, you went to um, Plastic Cords, right? Yes, so. I did go to Plastic Cords in Paris. <laughs> you can say it with the actual proper pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Anatomy, so they are two of the uh, big rope studios in Europe. Yeah. Um, and they are very rope focused, and they are for sure opening rope up to yeah. people who aren't just in the. Um, and showing them what the real thing is. Yeah, so one of the benefits of those rope studios is that they are very thorough and do explain all the things, mm-hmm. but they are also part of the trend of bringing rope to a wider audience and to a non-BDSM audience to some degree. Some people that go yeah. there are just into rope. For sure. So how um, do we feel about that? Uh, I don't know so much about anatomy, but for sure uh, Cyril at Place des Corbes does rope lessons where he actually speaks a lot about the meaning of the thing and the sensations and the dynamic which i liked a lot about his uh, his lessons but they also okay. do uh shows that people just buy tickets to and come to see people get tied up and you can for sure get nila people at those shows just coming to enjoy and discover something new and i think having those two legs is actually a, a good and interesting combination Okay, okay. And and we know in Japan that rope shows are a big thing also. Um, but do we feel that they're a bit more titillating? Titillating? The Japanese ones? Uh, so, yeah, so are they a bit more sexual or, or erotic rather than artistic? or? Well, they're designed to be, 
but how successful that is depends on your tastes, really. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, I, we, um, we we watched one uh, yesterday on video. We did. We I, could, I would I say it wasn't. Again. I would say it wasn't uninteresting. Uh, yeah. It was kind of nice to look at, but I did not find it particularly erotic personally. It felt like a modern art piece with it some did. oddness in it. And uh, some nice dancing. Some yeah, and some very beautiful, but also some weird stuff. Well, uh, I'll try and find that. Yeah, I guess the cultural context is not my own, so it's going to be quite different. Yeah. Um, I, I think this this also leads to this idea of rope split out as a thing versus kind of lumped in with BDSM. So, uh -huh. you know, obviously for us, it, it, it is bondage, so it's part of BDSM. Um, and for us, it's very much part of our DS and, and all the other stuff. Yeah. But when you have people coming in through the rope studios, they can be there just for rope and nothing else. And mm -hmm. so people start to have a kind of, I'm going to say, purist attitude to rope yeah. and almost pull it out of BDSM. What do we think of that? I think it's valid. I think it's okay to be just into rope and not anything else. And we have both attended and also run and organized events that were rope only, there were, where there was no other BDSM present. And I think that's perfectly fine. But... I personally prefer to be connected to the wider BDSM community and be open to everyone. And I have introduced BDSM people to rope when they had never had rope before. And I am also very open to being introduced to new known ropey BDSM things by other people. So I think, I think we gain by being in the same community as opposed to being a ghetto within yeah. a ghetto. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. And how uh, Rope manages to actually keep within that context, I think, is quite important. And it's interesting as well, you know, Rope recently has had a, a huge number of consent violation incidents yeah. that seem to be very specific to the Rope community. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's consent issues everywhere else. But I think because Rope can be so distinct, like it's very obvious what Rope is, it's not fuzzy. Uh, it is um, so distinct and also it achieves degrees of powerlessness for the bottom that are not commonly seen in other BDSM practices, I think. Right, right. So it opens itself up to the possibility of consent violations. Very much. And historically, you know, as we know from the Me Too movement and from, you know, the, the tales of women, in the vanilla world, consent is an issue. Yes. And so when you've got this possibility of being tied up as well, you you have more risk for sure um, or or actually you have less risk if you're doing it with people who have been exposed to explicit consent which is not the case of a vanilla society at large i think that is definitely the case now mm -hmm. the consent incidents that we're seeing are mostly historical so yeah. they're people bringing up stuff to say look this person is not what you think he is or she is mm -hmm. and so I, I also, there might the be a generational effect because I don't have any data yeah. to back that claim up, but it seems a lot of consent violations implicate people who are more old guard versus uh, people who have got into rope in a new generation, so to speak, seem to have come from a place of better uh, consent education, I would say. Okay, on, on I, average. I, I am on not... Average. Uh... I don't have the data for that either, so yeah. that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, Something to explore. Yeah, yeah. And then the only other thing that I wanted to kind of bring up was 
the conversations that I've had with people around this, that I guess looping it back to the beginning, that context, because that's the thing that really brought this stuff home to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had people, you know, when I talk about it, say, oh, well, you know, you're just sex mad. And it is well, true. You, you kind I of are. Like that. Which, <laughs> but, which we well, like about you. <laughs> But rope is not, for me, always about sex, and I certainly do lots of non-sexual rope, and there are lots of reasons that I do rope that are not to do with sex mm. and sexuality at all. But again, that's the the view of the people that I'm talking to who don't really know so much about it. And then the other thing that I do find quite challenging um, that someone said to me was, oh, well, you know, you're this is something that I've been fighting against as a feminist for the past 25 years, you know, you're just playing into the um, uh, society's models around men dominating women and women being tied up. And they actually said in quite a snotty way, are there any men being tied up? And I said, yes, there are, and send them a load of photos. Good job um, there. <laughs> so why but, do you think of these uh, feminists? And I'm not saying all feminists think that. No, I'm a feminist. Clear. That's one of the big challenges for me. So I am a feminist. Feminists believe that um, about inequality for men and women. Uh, this, for me, does not seem like a complicated concept. However, obviously people then add different flavors to it, and that's one of them. For, for me, doing this in a consenting way and and being quite comfortable with men tying women, women tying men, women tying women, men tying men, and everything in the middle. Yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah, of course, of course, um, is really important. Um, and I don't see it as, okay, men are tying women and then it's a symbol of the patriarchy. But again, outsiders, that can be one of the perceptions. And I do find that quite a difficult one mm-hmm. to combat. And I believe uh, from an article we read together yesterday that even within feminist thinkers, there is quite the divide between those that see BDSM as a freeing, positive force and those that see it as the opposite. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I I mean, there's a huge difference in the way feminists can see BDSM, for sure. Um, and And I would be in the category of, you know, doing this allows me choice and it allows me much more control over my own sexuality, like I'm making active choices, I've mm-hmm. explored things. Um, but yeah, there are definitely people who just say, oh, you're playing into the heteronormative norm of men dominating women, and you're just repeating that pattern in your sex life. And I do find that very challenging. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, would you? How would you advise someone handle it if they are confronted with those remarks in their family or personal life? Yeah, so so for me, I try and not get all cross and angry, which sometimes I am inside, and try and remember that they haven't been exposed to the stuff that I have and they don't understand. So that's coming right back to this um, uh, cognitive bias and and remembering that this false consensus effect is happening. So just because I I think everyone knows about this stuff does not mean they do. Mm -hmm. And so then I have to decide, do I want to be an ambassador? Like, am I yeah. trying to set a good example or is am I just too tired? Because <laughs> sometimes I am too tired. I, I don't want to have to have the argument. So I guess it but depends on how important the person is to you. Like, if it's your yeah. mother or, if you're, or your aunt, you're going to have, like, 
take the effort to actually show her the men being tied pictures and try to open her mind up. If it's some rando in the street, you're probably not going to bother. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. How much effort do I want to put in? And how much do I want to share as well? Mm -hmm. And so then I will talk a bit about what rope means to me and the sensations it brings. And I usually avoid the sexual stuff because um, I, I don't think... I don't think I necessarily need to say that. And yeah. then I talk about consent and I talk about safety and I talk about choice and I talk about the fact that I am a very educated person. You know, I'm lucky enough to have had that. And I'm also uh, a reasonably senior professional in my work life. Mm -hmm. And so in my personal life, I'm making a particular choice. And I would um, say, knowing you, that both your BDSM and your sexuality are more explicit and negotiated and defined by you than pretty much any other human being I know. <laughs> because I do all the talking, yeah. And you have yeah, an 11-pages <laughs> contract that describes every single one of the hard and soft limits in great detail. <laughs> Something like that. And I also do a lot of reading about... BDSM uh, from an academic perspective I'm quite interested in I mean obviously this is quite a conceptual topic and I'm sure not everyone's that interested in it but for me this stuff is really interesting like how people see you the context what what we're doing in BDSM and in rope is actually quite revolutionary um, and so there's also um, how we position ourselves in society and society and how much choice we make over the way that we project ourselves in society. You know, who are the spokespeople? Um, because they tend to be organic rather than obviously voted in. Yep. So who is speaking for you in the woke community, in the media? Do you know? And do you feel comfortable with that? Do you want to change that? That kind of thing. Wow, that's that's deep right there. <laughs> I um, know. Okay, so that's my, um, I must say, as a male rigger, when I have um, revealed my proclivities in the Nila world, uh, I have not had the same reactions you have as a, a female rope bottom. That's interesting. Um, mostly yeah. people were either saying, okay, that's cool, and kind of convenient because you've just like tied that piece of furniture to my car and I needed to move <laughs> it, so thanks. Uh, or they're like, okay, you kind of fucked up, and the people who are doing that with you must be pretty fucked up also, which we like much yeah. less, obviously. Um, or sometimes, oh, that, that sounds interesting. Would you try it on me? <laughs> That's more from the females, that last one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think that it's quite interesting, and I would be really interested in listeners talking about their experiences here. You know, who who have you told... Yeah. And what was their reaction? So people outside our community, because obviously we hope in our community we get a more positive and reasonable reaction. Mm -hmm. But if you are talking to people who have no experience, who are vanilla, who are outside the BDSM community, what do they say when you talk to them about yeah, being Yeah, I'd be really intrigued to read some uh, feedback from our listeners on that. Yeah, it would be great to have people comment on the FetLife page for mm -hmm. the episode. Okay, so that's all from us at the Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, so iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else, and come and friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on FET, and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying. <laughs>